everyone, welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Carl Mascarenas, and today I'm joined by Michael Singh in place of Vivek Jacob as he's busy with the end of the NBA season. Welcome, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me once again, Carl. Are we sure Vivek isn't, you know, somewhere in Manchester out there protesting the club? Are we? Sh- have we confirmed that Vivek is indeed covering the NBA like he claims to be? <laughs> it's a good question, Mikey. Uh, I did see someone who looked like Vivek with some green and gold around him. So those are unconfirmed reports. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, Vivek. We wouldn't put it past Vivek to be out there, you know, right on the streets with with the with the fans, with the loyal ones, causing up a stir. That that's definitely all Vivek does, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and and what better occasion to do that than the derby of all derbies, Manchester United versus Liverpool? at Old Trafford today, where it was a enthralling game for the neutral, not so much for us United fans, but then again, we aren't playing for as much as Liverpool was, fighting for the Champions League spot. The game ended 4-2 in Liverpool's favor. There were a lot of goals in this game. Started off in the 10th minute by Bruno Fernandes. He had a curling effort that went into the was going into the far corner, but then was redirected by Nat Phillips. Then you had Diego Jota, who equalized in the 34th minute. Then you had Firmino, who gave Liverpool the lead in the 48th minute of the first half, late into extra time. Second half opens up. Liverpool once again score another goal with Firmino. And then Rashford scores one to make it tight at the end in the 68th minute. And then finally, in the 90th minute, United pushing forward, gave up another goal with Mohamed Salah on the break. That was quite the game. What do you think of it, Mikey? As you said there off the bat, Carl, it was a very entertaining game if you're neutral coming into this one. I thought, you know, we we saw a classic kind of Liverpool-Manchester United match where there were times where Manchester United had had possession, had control of the game, and then there were also other times where Liverpool you know, we're the ones taking it to Manchester United. So really back and forth affair. You can tell both teams kind of really did want to win this one, but I think the more desperate side today kind of prevailed. Liverpool obviously trying to still hunt down that that Champions League spot in the Premier League, sitting in fifth place there, place there just outside, while Manchester United, uh, they're, they're really comfortable right now. And I think that kind of that kind of was what we saw today. And you know, credit to Liverpool for winning as much as I, I hate giving Liverpool credit. They they stuck to their game plan. They they forced some mistakes. They capitalized on their chances and they picked up the three points today, unfortunately. Yeah, this was a, a much more recognizable Liverpool than we are used to seeing, especially this year where they've been on a bit of a bad patch, especially at home at Anfield. If we start off with the starting lineups, this was a much more recognizable United 11 compared to the one we saw against Leicester. We had, you know, the usual starters, Dean Henderson in net, as we've accustomed to see that. Aaron Wan-Bissaka on the right, Luke Shaw on the left. Obviously, Harry Maguire still on crutches, so we had to get a replacement. So Eric Bailly came in for him. You had Victor Lindelof as well. And then in the, the midfield, Scott McTominay and Fred were there. And then up front, you had Rashford on the right, Bruno in the middle, Pogba on the left, and then Cavani leading the line. Any surprises there for you? Off the top of my head, no. I, I can't say that I am. When, when Vivek and I were talking about what we think Manchester United's strongest starting 11 was, it, it looked kind of something like this. 
And obviously with the team that they put out against Leicester, you knew that they were sort of saving saving their big guns for this derby. And again, they also have a five-day break, I think it is, after this for them to kind of recover a little bit. So I wasn't I wasn't surprised there to answer your question. I think that that's kind of probably the best side on paper that United could put out, save for maybe their goalkeeper. But we can get into that a little bit further if you want, uh, a little bit later if you want, or even now, whatever whatever works for you, Carl. Yeah, no. So why don't why don't we talk about that a little bit? Uh, so Dean Henderson, what were you what were your thoughts on his performance today? I I don't think he helped himself out at all today. Um. There, I wouldn't say any of the, the goals were solely his fault, mm-hmm. but there were definitely times where he could have helped himself out. Obviously, on the third goal, when he sort of spills Trent Alexander-Arnold's shot, and uh, I think it was Firmino that tapped it away. I mean, yes, that that's a mistake by Dean Henderson that he can kind of clean up, but there are also other mistakes on that play that led to that goal. Now, the fourth goal, again, another big highlight for me for in terms of Dean Henderson just being not at the top of his game it was most allowed obviously coming out of the breakaway now do I expect Dean to make that save not really but I did expect him to make it more difficult for Mo Salah he was you know he's playing a bit high because United needed a goal and then Salah got on the counter attack Dean Henderson was caught a little bit far out of his net so he had to turn around and run back but he wasn't able to get himself settled and positioned in net and he mm-hmm. ultimately did not close down the angle enough on Mo Salah's shot, and Salah was essentially given the whole goal to kind of slot in. I, I, I grew up playing striker, and that was my kind of go-to finish, a clean pass into the far right corner because I'm right-footed. Mo Salah's left, so he goes far left corner. And as a goalie, that, all, all, that has to be the first thing you kind of take away. And I remember there were times where goalies obviously this is a much different level but goalies growing up here in Canada they weren't great at taking away that angle and that used to be just be money that whenever I saw that much of the net my eyes would light up it's just like it's like making a, a six yard seven yard pass into the net and I thought that's what Dean Henderson gave most a lot today I think as you know we had the perfect view from the camera work that was done where when I was watching that fourth goal there was something that just looked unusual and I think you broke it down really well. Dean Henderson was in no man's land. He was neither here nor there. And he gave Mo Salah a lot of time. And that far post was wide open. He didn't close the angle. The least you expect is, hey, come out, close the angle. And if you must, take him out. What? There's nothing you're playing for. You can still play in the Europa League final. right? <laughs> so I, I expected him to close the angle much faster. But it just looked like he was waiting for Salah to make a decision before he made one. And I think that just made it easier for Salah. You know he's going in the far post. He's clinical. He's also going for that golden boot, mm-hmm. which helped him tremendously against Harry Kane. And we found ourselves 4-2 down. Yes, that was right at the end of the game with barely any time left. But it was important because United were mounting a lot of pressure onto Liverpool's defense. and. You felt them knocking on the door. You didn't know if it was going to break or not, but it was close. Yeah, and I think you know when he first got caught in no man's land and had to turn around and run back to his goal. It was almost as if he he lost track of where his net was. Like that—that's always a tough play as a keeper when you kind of get disoriented and 
you're not set up perfectly, especially when someone like Mo Salah, as you mentioned, the, what he's what he's doing, how quickly he is, how fast he can kind of close in on you. It's always tough to get, guess get yourself sort of settled. But just based on the replay, we we all know that Henderson had more time to sort of set up there. Salah was definitely going to take that ball, shoot it, because he had no really other option. And yeah, like we all know what the end result was at that point. Yeah, so you know, if we if we rewind back to the start, Liverpool played a four three three. I mean, the only surprise there was Sadio Mane was dropped to the bench as opposed to being in the starting lineup. You had Jota in the starting lineup instead of him. United had a very strong start to the game, in my opinion. They were on the front foot. Their passing was extremely crisp. It almost looked like United was fighting for a Champions League spot as opposed to Liverpool, the way that game began. And then in the 10th minute, we were 1-0 up. What were your thoughts on the way United started the game? Yeah, strong start, as you said. I thought, you know, Cavani could have probably finished one early on. Um, but, you know, United did get that that goal early on and it could have been maybe the worst thing that could have happened to them in this game. Because after United score that goal, at Liverpool, that desperation kicks in a little bit more. So I didn't mind United's start to the game. I thought, you know, like you said, it was, it was, it was sharp. It looked crisp. Um, down, you know, Bruno, Rashford, even Wambasaka getting into the mix. Pogba was playing with a little bit of swagger early on. Uh, they were they look really good and I I thought off the top I'm like this this United team feels kind of like it's back like it's fine I found its groove like they they look like the team that should finish second place while Liverpool is quite far below them mm-hmm. but like I said I think that that goal that they got almost was a wake-up call for Liverpool yeah and United let them back into the game did you think that United were vulnerable from set pieces because Maguire wasn't playing. What what did you feel about that partnership between Lindelof and Bai? Yeah, I actually thought they brought a different sort of element, a kind of different look to that Manchester United black line, where both of them are kind of heavy ball players. They they like the ball kind of at their they're comfortable at least with the ball at their feet. Um, they have both have the ability to kind of dribble forward, take risks, um, and overall, like I mean, the result was four goals. So I you can't say that I love them. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. As United really missed Harry Maguire, especially off offset pieces. They were punished a couple of times in this game offset pieces. So I think you kind of talked about this a little bit before the show, but I think that's a recurring pattern for them, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I mean, one third of all goals conceded in the Premier League have been from a set piece. That's 33% of goals. That's a, that's a big number. Very big, and I'm not sure if that's a testament to how well United is defended without the ball, or or sorry, without set pieces, or if that's just a bad number to give up. Because you know, thinking on this United season as a whole, I don't really have the numbers in front of me right now, but I think just from the eye test, I feel like this United team has done fairly well defending overall. I feel like this this team in particular feels more structured, feels more stable than a lot of United teams in the past where their biggest kryptonite was allowing their, their center backs and their their back line in particular. Now, it probably still is the weakest part of this Manchester United team, but in a way, there is some sort of stability this year, and that's what it feels like. So Harry Maguire obviously makes a big difference offset pieces. He's he's one of the best in the league, if not the best in the, the Premier League at, 
at set pieces overall in terms of you know being that physical presence but you know they they need to be better overall if that's the case if that's the case howard how do you feel about united defending set pieces carl honestly i think the biggest difference is harry Maguire now with no crowd we can really hear the player shouting and there's no one you can hear more than harry Maguire. he's really vocal along with dean henderson actually and he's telling players where they need to be and I think that was the biggest thing that we were missing today. It almost looked like Bailly was looking to Lindelof. And Lindelof isn't exactly that type of player who yells. He does most of his talking on the pitch. And when you have two players like that, that's where you can sometimes have confusion along with the rest of the team. You saw that when United had a corner, sorry, Liverpool had a corner. Nothing came of it. And then Bailly tried to clear the ball. He took Nat Phillips out in the process. This was around about the 26th minute. And the ref actually pointed to the spot. And then upon further review, VAR overturned the decision correctly, in my opinion. Uh But that all started from the corner kick where there was a lot of indecision that was going on once United won the ball back. Nobody wanted to take that chance to just clear the ball. And that's where that chance came from in the first place. And you saw that again for the first goal that Liverpool scored. Once again, it was former corner kick. Then you had Nat Phillips who had a misplaced shot that Jota very smartly hit into the back of the net, almost like a, a backheel flick. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? They they pointed it out at, at halftime where Aaron Bissaka's positioning could have been a little better as opposed to running away. He could have stood there. I think we're nitpicking. I don't know what your thoughts were on that goal. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. They were, they were kind of nitpicking there when they were isolating Aaron Wan-Bissaka what he did was he actually Yota is a right-footed player right so what he did is actually when your your back's to the goal he took goal side he took the inside of Yota assuming that's where you can get all your power from now credit where credit's due that was a very incredible back heel I, I don't know if the shot itself like I wasn't expecting the shot to be that cut in and that powerful with that especially when he's running away from goal so credit to the initial shot for that. And it was just, it was a piece of magic there. And yeah, I don't know if anyone else is to blame. Could Wambasaka perhaps have been a little bit tighter? Sure. Um, but he was, he was pretty damn close. And like you said, I think that's just a little bit of nitpicking. Um, but the overall par- problem, the overarching problem, like you said, is, is their inability to clear the ball in the first place. Obviously Pogba falls over there a little bit. Um, which maybe was a recurring theme this match inside his own box when defending set pieces. And that scramble is, is, you know, the more desperate side, the team that wants it more usually comes out on top in terms of set pieces. And that's just not what happened today. Yeah. And you mentioned Pogba. And then in the 48th minute of the first half, deep into stoppage time, Liverpool had a set piece. And then Pogba marking Firmino. Clearly didn't do a very good job because Firmino basically had an open header at the far post and he headed that in. No chance really for Dean Henderson to save that one. So yet again from another set piece we conceded. Yeah, it was a bit of a... Took all the wind out of United almost going into the half, right? You're you're going to be content with going into that half level, especially Liverpool kind of pressuring. They're, they're the better team kind of heading into the half. They started to you know, find their legs in the game and really take over the game. And then it's just, it's a slip up from Paul Pogba. He knows his job there. He, he left the line late. I mean, everyone knows when you're supposed to leave the line when the ball's about to be kicked. 
and it was just Firmino getting getting a step on Pogba and Pogba couldn't recover. So I've never been a crazy fan of Paul Pogba's ability to sort of defend set pieces. I feel like that is a a bit of a, a pattern we're starting to see with Pogba there. He he does have the height, but I just think on defense for whatever reason he he's prone to losing his man and losing his marker. And I've yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I mean that and then it's it's disappointing because Pogba is also six four. Yeah. So when you expect someone to be defending from set pieces, you look at Edison Cavani. He's a striker. So you would think that okay, fine, you can give him a pass when it comes to defending. But no. When it comes to any corner kicks, he defends them really well. He has that nose for where the ball's gonna go. And he tends to he tends to head quite a few of those corners from the opposition out of our own box. And I think if Paul Pogba just concentrated a little bit more with his height, he could clear a lot of those as well. Such an underrated aspect of Cavani's game, as you point out there. And you know who's really good at that? Robin Van Persie. Robin Van Persie used to be really, really good at that, at, at clearing headers outside his own box as, as a striker. And what I was going to mention was the credit where credit's due again. That ball by Trent. Trent Alex-Arnold, yeah. That ball in by him was absolutely delicious at the far post. Firmino, uh, you know, he, he did well. He, the finish was great, but that was to a T. We're exactly where you want it in that sweet spot. And I thought today overall, Alexander-Arnold was was excellent. I think he could have been arguably the best player on the pitch. Uh, for me, he was the noisy neighbor, Mikey. So I think you, you might have uh, hit the nail on the head there. But Trent Alexander-Arnold was otherworldly with the way he performed his set pieces his balls into the box man they were on point he's a chess prodigy eh is he he's a chess prodigy that. yeah so this guy's a smart guy and he obviously has the talent to to back that up he just thinks the game really well and it's the most impressive part of his game at least for me is his crosses and his balls into the box his, his decision making too is also very good but his deliveries are are great and Something I wish United had at times down that right side. Now, heading into the second half, you would have hoped that United get off to a, a good start and maybe get themselves back into the game. They're 2-1 down. That wasn't the case because Liverpool managed to get an all-important third goal to put a bit of a buffer between us and them. Is there anything United could have done differently on this third goal? <laughs> Where do I start? Where do I start? <laughs> So, I mean, first you have that initial pass from Lindelof, who decides to play Fred in, in kind of a, a difficult situation. Fred's playing central midfielder, but he has he's, he's squared to Lindelof, so he's like right in front of him. So he has two Liverpool defenders closing in behind him. So Fred's really only option is, you know, if he's really talented, really tricky, he can maybe turn there and, and break the two defenders' press because they're coming from two opposite sides of him. Um, but that's a risk that you don't want to take. So that's not really an option. But other, another option was to play it square uh, to his right, which is what he's tried to do, or go back to Lindelof, which, I mean, going back to your own box after just playing a ball out of there, isn't that a, not really a, the best option? So Fred Fred did what he could in terms of making the right decision. Execution just wasn't there, and that was a, a terrible giveaway. Now, the ball then finds its way back to Luke Shaw after Liverpool sort of mess up the chance. And Luke Mm -hmm. Shaw, I actually really liked what he did initially. I thought he read the play really smartly. 
um, he was put in a kind of really bad situation and he was sort of trying to bail his team out. And I thought he actually did the right thing. Just the last move that he tried to make was a bit too much. And that's where he got caught. I think everything else except for that last touch that he took was was actually great because he broke down the, their press by reading the play very well. It was a riskier play, and obviously they got punished for that, but I don't mind the team that's talented taking risks like that. I think that's how you beat better teams. If you're able to read the game like that in a smart way and break lines with even by running through them with the ball even, then I, I, I really don't mind that. I, I actually... I would rather my team try and do try and try the spectacular than at times play it too safe. So that that's my take. Yeah. So here's I I think you're you're being easy on Fred here. I think so. Victor Lindelof. This was a short goal kick that was played to him, and it's pretty standard practice that when the center defender gets the ball, they try to play it into mid or out wide to Luke Shaw. So he he played it into Fred. Now, this is where, as a CDM, I expect you to know two things. Number one, there's analysis that's been done in the background. We know that Liverpool presses high. So this shouldn't come as a surprise to him that he's being pressed right now. So he should already know what his options are and where he needs to pass. And And you covered this. You said, you know what? He had the right idea, but the execution was wrong. And I think that he needs to do better there. He should be able to pass that ball to Luke Shaw. For sure. He's a Premier League player. He was a 50 million pound player. So he wasn't cheap either. And he got that pass all wrong. And I think that, obviously, if Fred passes that ball to Luke Shaw, we're probably not talking about a third goal here. And then we see the calamity of errors that occurs from there with Luke Shaw losing the ball, although he was trying to break the press. And then Dean Henderson with an extremely ordinary save where he just saves it and it, it goes back into the danger zone where Firmino just puts it in the back of the net. And so I thought that was a really disappointing goal just because this is something that should be negated. You know that in a Europa League final, Villarreal are probably going to employ a very similar press. And there's a very high likelihood that Scott and Fred are going to start that game as well. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything that you said there. Like, absolutely terrible pass from Fred. But... As I was saying, like I, I think there was like I don't think Lindelof has to play that ball straight per se. I don't think he has to play that right into Fred. I think he, that mm-hmm. should be coming from an angle to give Fred more options on the pitch. Um, but like you said, inexcusable from Fred to to mess up like that. I was just thinking more so bigger picture. Yes, we all saw the mistake. We all saw it was like a brutal pass. We all saw Luke Shaw's terrible giveaway and Dean Henderson's blunder. Three inexcusable mistakes on that play. Um, but I think there are ways that United can kind of help each other out in that play. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I hope I hope they use that as a learning exercise. The way Harry Maguire has been walking around with that boot on his ankle, I'm not too optimistic that he's going to be able to make that final on May 26th. I hope I'm wrong about that. He's got 13 days to fix that. Uh, fingers crossed. I mean, one of the things that we're noticing, and I think rightfully so, because... People have been harsh on Harry Maguire because of his price tag of 80 million pounds. Now, we're finally getting a glimpse of what this team looks like without Harry Maguire, number one. And number two, how important he is to our team. What do you think about that, Mikey? Yeah, it's it's really 
when when Harry Maguire first broke onto the scene here at Manchester United, he came in with that big, really big price tag. And it was almost as if he was trying to really live up to that price tag. It's almost as if, like, you know, he, he felt like he needed to prove that he was a $70 million defender. And that didn't always involve defending. That meant, like, trying to do a lot offensively, trying to dribble a little bit. And even at times when he was defending, trying to make the spectacular play pretty often. I feel like he's really settled in now. I feel like he's kind of shaken off that burden of being a, again, a, a high price player. And I feel like, again, he's he's settled in here at Manchester United. And I think he's a guy, what, 28, 29 years old now. He's a guy that Manchester United kind of build around at the back there. He's he's their captain, right? And I, I think he wears the armband at times. Or No, he's definitely the captain, yeah. The captain there is 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 kind of settled into that captain's role at Manchester United. And I think he's a little bit unheralded at this point. I definitely think he's underrated. He doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. He has definitely gone back to the basics. I 100% agree with you. I think almost in a way that incident that happened in Greece made him just focus solely on defending when he came back. That's all he needed to do. Hey, if I get the ball, I don't have any options. I'm clearing it into touch. I don't want any mistakes. And then he's just grown in confidence. Now you're starting to see him make those runs into the opposition half. You're starting to see him spray those long balls, almost like a Van Dyke. Not as good, but he's getting there. I remember when he first started, you're like, oh, he's an 80 million pound defender. He should be easily making those passes like a Van Dyke. He's more expensive than a Van Dyke. All these expectations were on his shoulder. And... I think that was weighing on him. You, you, that was an excellent point you made, Mikey. And so hopefully, you know, he gets a little bit more credit because we're starting to see how much we miss him. Now, speaking of good players, who was your Cantona caller for today? Marcus Rashford for me today. I thought he he looked the most dangerous kind of on the pitch. Um, Bruno's always, always in consideration there, just the amount that he kind of controls the game. Um, but for me personally, I thought Marcus Rashford would look, look, the most dangerous out of anybody and whenever it's a it's a derby match the manchester united liverpool game we know we know rashford's history here in manchester we know he's a local kid we know these are matches that he kind of get up gets up for and i thought he was one of the few players on the day that actually did that so can't deny caller for me that's marcus rashford you took the words out of my mouth mikey i think you know what when i look at these derbies i really look for those local lads i look for the mason greenwoods i look for the scott mctominay's I mean, Alex Arnold, and then Rashford. And for some reason, whatever it is, no matter if he's at 70% or 90% or 100%, Rashford always gets himself up for these kind of games, whether it's City or Liverpool. And he did that again today, and he was on fire. So, you know what? A quick shout-out to Bruno, because I thought he played well in this game. But Marcus Rashford, for me, was also the Cantona caller. Let's go. Now, on the flip side, who did you have for the Beckham boot? United's worst player. Ooh, there are, there are some candidates out there today, aren't they? Um, like overall, like there were times where the team looked really good, times times where the team looked really poor. Uh, we talked a bit why I feel like this is a recurring theme for me. I keep whenever I come on the show, man, it Dean Henderson always pops up for the Beckham boot for me. I I think I have really high expectations after seeing what David De Gea can do at his best. And knowing that we have David De Gea as an option off the bench, 
I feel like that kind of puts a little bit more pressure on Dean Henderson to perform. And when he's not not performing at his best, when he's not giving United the best chance to win, he's always a candidate for me there. So for me, I think I think Dean Henderson gets my Beckham boot. Okay, that's an interesting one. I mean, I I do believe that Dean Henderson was one of the candidates for me. I did think that Fred he played well in instances, and then there were certain instances where he could have done better. Overall, looking at how the balance of play went, I thought that third goal was extremely important yeah. for how this game went. And your goalkeeper is your last line of defense. And you expect Dean Henderson to do a little better just because Trent shot that straight at him. It wasn't in a corner. And so he should have been able to redirect it into an area that wasn't as dangerous. And so for, for that reason, I agree with you. I think Dean Henderson deserves the boot. And that definitely ratchets up the pressure on him, given that both of them are competing for the Europa League final. I mean, De Gea is a favorite because he's been playing the cup competitions. But all in all, I hope uh, this is a good learning curve for Dean Henderson because he's no longer playing for Sheffield United where some of these mistakes can go under the radar. Yeah, Every single almost mistake is a talking point. Definitely magnified for sure. And one more thing I kind of want to add on that Beckham boot. The Magic gets like the permanent Beckham boot for me. If that's ever a thing, <laughs> like let's, let's just Beckham boot the Magic back to, I don't know, wherever. Give him back to Chelsea if you want. Like just, I don't, I just think he's taking up time from younger players at this point on uh, in his career. And when, you know, United needed a goal, he was the guy who was sort of brought on and that just kills me inside a little bit. Obviously, he plays a different role, and he isn't asked to, you know, do as much as he was once. He kind of just settles into that holding defensive midfield role, adds some stability there. But when I look at Scott McTominay and the type of player that he is, when I when I think about you know guys who are on the bench, I Donny Van de Beek pops to mind. And I just yeah, Matic is kind of a head scratcher there for me. Yeah, Matic, I think he was brought on to kind of change the formation. I thought, uh, Vivek and I discussed this in the last episode, he had a very strong first half against Leicester where he was dominating the possession. He was able to bring the ball from back uh, out back and then give a nice forward pass to one of the attacking players. You clearly see in this instance where he tried to do that and he gave the ball away. That's how the fourth goal resulted for Liverpool. So, I mean, I don't know if I... Quite agree with the Beckham. <laughs> a little <boot>. too far. <laughs> a little, a little too far. What I I will say is that sometimes you need a bit of experience in your team. You can't have too many youngsters. Case in point has been Edinson Cavani. He didn't play every game, but you can clearly see the effect he's had on this United team. The one point I want to make is that if you remember last season before Cavani was on the team, or even this season, whenever Luke Shaw got the ball or Aaron Wan Basaka got the ball in an attacking area, they were hesitant to cross that ball into the box. It was always their second or third option. They would always try to pass it back to a Bruno or Scott or somebody. I mean that you don't you and, don't think they like driving the ball into the box into an Anthony Martial or uh, an, an Ngalo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You you hit the nail, Mikey. Like they just like were hesitant. The reason for that is because, quite frankly, there weren't that many options in the box to begin with because you have a Martial and a Rashford who like to stay on the edge of the box. Cavani demands that ball. Yeah. And they now process it in with 
a lot of consistency almost on a first or second time basis. And I think that's one of the biggest changes. And that comes through a bit of experience. Mantic has a bit of that experience. And I'm hoping that rubs off. I think he needs to definitely do a little bit better on the pitch. But I don't know if I would want to get rid of him just because you still got these young players who can learn a lot from the defensive midfield position, which takes a bit of experience and know-how to play that position well. For sure. So that's the only thing I'll say about that. No, that's a that's a really good point. And I think if there is value that Nemanja Matic brings to this United team, it is that experience uh, more so off the pitch than on the pitch. Um, kind of like in that sort of Juan Mata sort of vibe, but I'll never slander Juan Mata because he's the GOAT. Um, I guess the difference between Matic and Cavani for me is Cavani's actually still good. <laughs> I think that's the biggest difference is Cavani's still good and he still has it. He can go for another five years if he wants. I don't. Th- I think what Cavani brings to that striking role, he he's such a as you said, he's such a smart player. He he knows where to where to be at the right time. He he makes such smart runs in the box, giving himself an option. And like you said, he demands the ball as well. He still wants to be very much involved and he's capable of making a difference. So um, yeah, credit to Cavani for that. And if Matic does, you know, provide some, especially for a player like Scott, because they're, they're kind of similar molds. Scott's a bit more mobile than, than Matic is. So I think if, if Matic can kind of take Scott under his wing and show him some of the ropes, then yeah, I, I do see some value there. Awesome. And so then I think we've already decided then Alex Arnold is the uh, noisy neighbor then? It has to be, right? Like I think Yota played a good match as well. Um, Mo Salah is always a, always a contender, I feel, like, in these matches. like I feel he always get, gives some United some trouble, but for me it has to be Trent Alexander-Arnold. Got no his doubt. name right. I completely agree with you on that one. I thought he was outstanding today. I don't know if you got a little extra motivation from Garrett Southgate being in the stands watching that and wondering, hey, how am I not on that plane for the Euro 2020 squad? Because he definitely deserves to be there. Two candidates there hurts. on that right mid on that right back position. He had Juan Bissaka there who can also who's competing, right? He doesn't even make the England squad. He doesn't even make which it. Is, which is a shame. To be honest, that's wild. Yeah, he brings a different sort of element to that right back role, right? He's a different type of player than than Alexander Arnold. I think overall, Alexander Arnold's probably the better right back. But if you want to shore up that defensive line, I'm not sure if that's the case for England. Depending on the way they want to play, then is Alexander Arnold definitely makes sense there. Absolutely. Now, moving into the preview for the next game, we're playing Fulham on May 18th, uh, a Tuesday. Not too much on the line, if I'm being honest. You've got Fulham, who's already relegated. And then you've got a United team that's basically just trying to cement second place in the league. So a win here almost does it for them. In fact, it it will do it for them because they've got a four-point lead. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about this Fulham match. And it's something we kind of touched on before the show. United have two matches left in the league. They have Fulham, which is the 18th. And then five days later, they have the Wolves, which is always a kind of a tricky fixture. They need to pick up at least one point in those those two matches. They might even need to pick up three. My math isn't great right now. (laughs) <laughs> no, they got if they pick up if they win against Fulham then second place is okay so they they might need to win so the, I think the yeah. pressure even ramps up a little bit more there 
because that Wolves match is actually three days before their UEFA Europa League final. So United don't want to be trotting out a strong side against Wolves. They want to take Mm -hmm. care of business against Fulham. So in a sense, the pressure is all on Manchester United to go out there and get that result in that one game. It's a team that they should beat. It's a team I expect them to beat. And I'm guessing it's a team that they will beat, Carl. Yeah, I think at this point, Fulham's just playing for pride. United, on the other hand, if Ole's smart about this, he might play a couple of squad players to give them a shot of potentially making the starting 11 for the Europa League final. So he could play a game where there's something on the line for United and it gets them over the edge. I think he puts out their best side. What What do you think of the starting lineup's going to be? I think it's going to be similar to what we saw today. And perhaps, you know, maybe De Gea finds his way back in that, but I, I still think they go with Henderson if I had to bet, just because Henderson's handled most of the league matches uh, down the stretch here. They might give De Gea a game to sort of keep him sharp for the Europa League final, especially after Henderson gives up four. But other than that, I, I don't expect to see too much squad rotation. How about you? So I agree with you. I think I think Henderson will be in net for this one. I will be very curious to see if De Gea starts the Wolves game because whoever starts that game, I believe, will start the Europa League final. Interesting. That's number one. Number two, I th- the only change I could potentially see is Mason Greenwood starting this game against Fulham. I think he's been on fire. The only reason he didn't start today is because he played two games in a row in very, very short succession. The only person who could potentially make way for Mason Greenwood, in my opinion, is Marcus Rashford, just because he hasn't been 100% for the last two to three months. So to give him a bit of a breather, but that one's debatable. What do you think, Mikey? No, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case, because the points that you sort of laid out there, Carl. Um, but like I said off, off, off the bat there, this is a game that I think Manchester United need to go out there and, and throw everything at it to ensure they get the three points just so that game on a couple days later against the Wolves doesn't mean as much and they can kind of rotate their squad before the Europa League final. I do disagree that whoever starts that game against Wolves starts the Europa League final because okay. against Leicester, they rotated their squad and they put in De Gea. So I think it's just whoever is being rotated at that point. I still don't know who actually will start that Europa League final. You could very well be right. I mean, it's a 50-50 shot. (laughs) So um, I just think we're going to see a rotated squad that day. And whoever, you don't really want your goalkeeper who's going into the final playing in front of sort of a a young squad. Maybe that kind of shatters their confidence a bit if they go out there and they get lit up by Wolves. I think you'd rather goalkeeper get out there and play with your strongest squad. Maybe give them a a five days rest or whatever it is until the Europa League final and, and have them start on a positive, positive note. Fair enough. I, I mean, regardless, I think I'm 99% sure that De Gea will start the final. He should start the final. He deserves to start the final given all he's done for the club. But that's my opinion. Yeah. And you know, that final man, I think it's kind of a win-win right now for Manchester United right now. As, as the league kind of takes shape. Because Liverpool is in fifth place right now, and United have already secured their their Champions League spot. So if United actually win that match uh, in the Europa League final against Villarreal, the fifth place team in the Premier League gets into the Champions League. 
So I I don't I don't I wouldn't mind seeing a 90th minute from Villarreal just to watch the fan the faces on Liverpool fans just absolutely drop seeing that their Champions League spot is just taken away from them because you know I don't know I I don't know if that's the case anymore I thought they changed that rule how so as in like the Europa League whoever wins that doesn't affect I thought um, the only way that's affected is in the Champions League. So if Man City and Chelsea are playing each other, let's just say that Chelsea happens to finish fifth in the league. Mm-hmm. It now means that whoever finished fourth in the EPL does not actually make it into the Champions League. Finished. Yeah, yeah, but United are in second, right? No, but I don't think that Europa League has any bearing on, on the, the Champions League finals places. But that would just leave league. one less team. In the mix for the draw, because there is a there you the winner of the Europa League qualifies for the Champions League automatically. No, yep. So wouldn't that leave one less team in the draw? I mean, <laughs> yeah, not, it's not, a yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's I. If they change that, I'm I'm wondering where we get that answer from, because uh, that that's that's new to me. No, definitely. I think that's something we can definitely clarify in in next week's episode. Because uh, I agree with you, Mikey. Any way we can potentially screw Liverpool, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the cost of another title, but I just think it's a win-win either way. If you do see that 90th minute winner goes in and it does work out where Liverpool doesn't get that spot, don't be too shattered. <laughs> <laughs> um. Mikey, where can we find you uh, if we want to listen to you on, on, on your other show? Oh, buddy, same same spot every every Tuesday. It's Wake in the Red Weekly. It's a podcast about Canadian soccer. So you can find that at Waking the Red. Uh, of course, we cover Toronto FC and Canada soccer. And as always, guys, you can find me on my Twitter at MichaelSing94. Um, I think that's that's about it, man. That's all the plug and I'll do here. <laughs> All right, that's about that about wraps up our show for tonight. Thank you for joining us. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of myself and Mikey and Vivek, thanks for listening to Red Couch Manx.